Good morning, Castaways, and welcome to Twists and Torches. My name is Cameron, and today I'm going to be talking about a rather contentious topic in the Survivor community, in particular the hardcore Survivor community, which of course I'm part of. I mean, I literally have a Survivor podcast, so you know that I really like the show. And uh, that is, who is the GOAT? Not who's the person you take to tribal so that you win because they won't get any votes, but the, the GOAT is an acronym for greatest of all time. This is uh, from the sports world, of course, where uh, this is, of course, also hotly debated, uh, famously in basketball, in golf, in football. Uh, who is the greatest player of all time? Who's the greatest player in this position of all time? Um, there's so many ways to debate it. ESPN has another segment every other week on who the football goat is, who the basketball goat is. Um, and it's it's always interesting to hear kind of the different approaches. And, and what I've learned from this and, and from the discussions I've had with Survivor regards to this is there are so many different lenses you can look through in order to evaluate who the greatest player is. Like who's to say that the physical game isn't the most important thing? Who's to say that just the social game? Who's to say that it's your strategic game. It's your ability to find idols, to play them, to use advantages, to adapt to the game. Maybe it's a different lens. Maybe it's a uh, larger overarching. Who's got the best chance to win if you drop them on an island with 19 people who don't know who they are? Who's got the best chance to win if you drop them on an island with 19 super fans? Who's got the best chance to win the most times if you make them play a hundred times, who's going to win more. There are so many different ways to approach this. And oftentimes some of these questions have the same answer. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people rely too much on the edit. Sometimes people rely too little on the edit and too much on post-game interviews and content. Sometimes people use lenses to evaluate winners that maybe they don't like for personal reasons or for their values or beliefs. Uh, because Richard Hatch exhibited inappropriate behavior on All-Stars, does that make him a worse winner? I'm not sure. What about modern winners? Did they have an advantage because of the way that the modern game has shifted? What? Why don't we evaluate more old school? Why don't we have recency bias come into play? There are so many factors that can affect this that it's nearly impossible. It's nearly, that's why I said, I said nearly, it's nearly impossible to say who the greatest player of all time. You can say who your favorite character is, who your favorite player is. That's so easy. Well, not so easy, but it's easy, right? You just say it. It can change next week. I can say my favorite player right now is Rick Devins. And then I go back and watch uh, Kagayan, and I'm like, wait a minute, it's Wu. Wu is now my favorite player. It can change on a whim, oftentimes just the way that it goes. You can have multiple favorite players, but but the greatest, like objectively, is it possible to rank the greatest player objectively? And the reason why I bring up these lenses is because things like this are often used in like literary or film criticism. And you're saying, Cameron, it's a reality show. These are real people, which is true. That's true. But at the same time, Survivor is art because someone is making a product out of it. Someone's taking thousands of hours of raw footage on any given season, and they're taking and they're condensing it into 42-minute episodes, usually 13 to 15 a season, and putting it on the TV for people to enjoy. So it is art because 
the editor's job and the producer's job is to tell a story, is to tell us the most compelling version of the story that happens out on the island. Uh, they have to cut out more than 90% of what happens because, you know, it's a TV show. That's the format. And so that's why I, it's safe to say that you can come up with ways to decide who the greatest players of all time are. And I'm going to use some of these kind of sports analogies, use some of the ways that other things are discussed, whether it be film directors or authors from the 19th century. Uh, there are so many different conversations around ranking things. Uh, Rolling Stone puts out their albums and songs like every couple of years. Uh, and of course, there's the infamous Watch Mojo, who uh, don't watch their Survivor content if you're a hardcore fan. It's more like for Facebook moms. Uh, no offense, Watch Mojo. Actually, you know what? Offense, Watch mojo do better learn how to pronounce parvity <laughs> so i'm going to talk about kind of the different ways that we can evaluate who the quote-unquote goat is um and maybe at the end of this i'll come to a conclusion spoiler alert i won't so let's start with the tried and true just top 10 list um this one is the hardest because every single placing matters. Uh, if you're one, that's different than three. If you're three, it's different than seven. It's not like these are the best 10 and they're all jumbled together because they're labeled as a number. Um, this is one of the harder ones to do because how do you leave out that 11th person? You know, how does how does that person not show up on this list? Because you considered them, obviously, you probably when making this list, put together like 30, 35 people and narrow it down, eliminate folks, um, maybe look at average placement, maybe take some points away if they played one really poor game. Uh, there's a lot of things that that come into play here. And, and this is probably the trickiest one to do is just a, a pure numbered list because you're really saying this is better than that at every single step. There is no equivalency. And that's really difficult to do, especially when it comes down to like really close choices. Um, I'll use an example. Um, Tom Westman, okay, played one of the most dominant games of all time. Uh, it's really hard to dispute that. He had a lot of control in his tribe, even though he didn't really need it because they never lost an immunity challenge. He was an absolute monster in the challenges. He was a big, smiling firefighter hero from New York. Um, everybody loved the guy for the most part. Uh, he caught that shark, which was crazy. Uh, he went 12 hours with young buck Ian at the end of the season. Uh, in the post-merge, he was controlling the boat. Absolute top, one of the most dominant games of all time. Never played from the bottom. Uh, there's no doubt that that's a, an absolute top tier game, right? But then you put him next to JT and Kim Spradlin and you say, oh, well, you decide the difference by comparing their second games, okay? Because you have to admit, like JT, although they were technically playing from the bottom, uh, everyone on Tabira loved the guy. They wanted him to win. Brendan was actively playing. He was like, oh, if I can't win, I hope JT wins, which is insanity in a game like Survivor. You don't say that. Kim Spradlin had total dominance. She had multiple options. She could have gone with either alliance she wanted. All the women were at each other's throats, but she was kind of sitting back and she was friends with everybody. The jury adored her. She got a ton of votes. Uh, Kim, also a dominant game. These three games... You have to 
put one person above the other and you say, oh, okay, well now let's go into their second game. Tom uh, did okay, but he was on the bottom. He idled out Sari and then he went out the next whatever. Uh, not great, but it's, oh, you, you know, there's mitigating factors. He's on a tribe of heroes and they all had a pregame alliance. Okay, fine. Uh, what about JT? Oh, he totally flopped on heroes versus villains, of course, famously giving away his idol, but uh, socially he did okay and he was kind of in a power position in the early merge, I guess. Um, and then game changers, he didn't do so well either. Okay, well, I guess that takes points away from him. Oh, Kim's winners at war game. She went kind of far, but it, so it's how do you how do you rank those in a number? Like, how do you say this person is better than that person when really uh they had to navigate different circumstances and they did it in somewhat similar ways, uh, in very dominant fashion. Those are probably three of the best winning games ever. Um how do you decide which one is four, which one's five, which one's six, or if you put them further down? Uh, are you ranking individual winning games? Are you ranking a player's whole repertoire on Survivor? Uh, it's it's too hard to tell, which is why the numbered list is not necessarily the best method for, for doing something like this. All right, next up, I'm going to talk about the Mount Rushmore approach. So this is a very limited list. Famously, of course, Mount Rushmore has four president's heads on it out in the Dakotas. And... A lot of people like to talk about this because it fits kind of neatly for Survivor, doesn't it? Because the names that you're going to hear most often, I mean, whether you agree with it or not, these are the four names that you're going to hear post-winners at war. It's Sandra, Tony, Boston, Robin, Parvati. Those are the names that go around the Survivor community that people call the GOAT. Of course, there are deniers for each of these. There are staunch supporters for each of these. Obviously, these four people are some of the greatest players of all time. But that's a really blanket statement. It's really easy to say, oh, this is one of the greatest players of all time. Because you could say that about like 20 people, right? Considering there's been hundreds of people that have played this game, if you're in like the top like three or 4%, you're one of the greatest players, which is, it's a good chunk. It's like 25 people is the top like 3%. Do you have to win to be the greatest of all time? Well, these four happen to have won, so they checked that box. They played dominant games. They played interesting, unique games. They're also all top-tier characters, so they get a lot of exposure. They get a lot of confessionals. People love watching them. For the most part, they're fan favorites. I know there's people that hate Boston Rob. There's some people that hate Sandra. Uh, but honestly, if you're a real Survivor fan, you like them all, at least a little bit. You love them on your TV screen. They're great entertainment. There are other more dominant winners who might not be quite as entertaining. So it's really easy and really neat to fit a Mount Rushmore up there. Um, there's some sports where this fits for a bit. Uh, basketball is kind of like a top three. And then I guess some people like put Kobe as the fourth. Some people put Larry. Um, I've seen uh, like several, there's several, I guess, options there to go with Kareem, LeBron and MJ, uh, Michael Jordan. Um so like, it's not quite as neat because that fourth spot's a little bit wonky, but it's easier to do that than to put the three of them in a numbered list and say, which one is number one. And of course the easy answer is Michael Jordan, but then what about LeBron? He played in a different era where you have to score more points. And then Kareem of course was just massively physically dominant. He had like his own signature shot. And um, it's, it's kind of similar with survivor, I guess, because who's that fifth person that you're leaving off? Like, is it Kim? Uh, is it Sari who's never won, but everybody considers universally one of the best players, probably the best player to never win. 
What about Sarah Lucina? I mean, she did really well in Winners at War. Uh, she has won. Maybe she would have done better on Kageyan if not for Chaos Cast. I mean, she's a great player too. So who do you leave off? And that's what's not so neat about it is it's so limiting and so truncated that there's no fifth person. There's no honorable mention. Like Mount Rushmore is Mount Rushmore and it's four. So that's, I guess, the, the issue I have with that, um, especially if someone else comes along or on a returnee season, someone makes a big splash. And then who do you displace of those four? I mean, come on, right? Like, it's so difficult to say which of Tony, Sandra, Parvati and Rob does not belong with the other three. It's their icons, their legends, they're great players. So that's, I guess, the problem with that model. All right, the next model is like a tier list. Um, I found this helpful. I actually did this for my season ranking where I kind of put everything in tiers and then kind of moved stuff up and down accordingly, but kept things mostly in the same tier just so I I had the right scope of, of what I was doing. And uh, tier list can be interesting because you have, you know, multiple people on the same band and there's no real way. I mean, some people say the leftmost one is, but that's kind of silly. Might as well make a, a numbered list. Um, there's people on the same band that, okay, these are the, the people in S tier. They are the best of the best. And there's A tier where these people are, are very close or like A plus, and then you have B plus, and then you have B, and then you go all the way down until you get to, um, get a lot lower. And then I guess you could like, theoretically, you could make a giant list with like 10, uh, like 25 layers and put like everyone on it. But in a fan base, that's as big as survivor. It's hard to do. I mean, you can do it for winners, right? Or you could do it for three time returnees or four time returnees, but there's just too many people that have played this damn game. I mean, how do you even compare some of like the pre mergers or first boots? Like, who's really better? Like, who's the worst player of all time? Like, is it Francesca? Is it Chicken Morris? Is it Zane? I, I'm not sure. Um, oh, just stick them all down there in F minus, minus, minus tier and we'll be good. Um, so that's somewhat limiting too, uh, just because I feel like. You, if you go through the players, even like, you know, everyone that's made uh, top seven or something like that, that would still be really hard to, to compare, especially with old eras of the game versus now. Like Keith Famey, his average placement is 42, 42 days, right? Like that's really high. But is he a better player than Sierra? Uh, Sierra or uh, Andrea? Someone who hasn't even made Final Tribal, but like he went 42 days. So is he better than them? I don't think so, but it's it's hard. It's a different game. Uh, and that's another kind of big caveat in this debate is it's a different show. It's a different game than it was 20 years ago. Uh, Richard would probably do do okay and adapt to the modern game, but to compare the the physical tapes and what was recorded 20 years ago of his game to like Tony's game and winners at war. I mean, how do you even compare that? It's, it's a completely different animal and uh, it, it just seems a little bit silly, but at the same time, people do it. Um, I think there's also like conflicting biases between historical and recency. 
So you get seasons in the middle that don't benefit at all from those. So people like overinflate how good Richard was at the game or Rob Sesternino. And then they uh, also overinflate like Tony uh, or Nick Wilson even or Christian. And he was a great strategist. I mean, he was good. But and then there's people in like the mid 20s, like Sophie and people were like, Sophie, why is she on Winners at War? I'm like, did you even watch South Pacific? So that's another thing that's difficult, even in the hardcore community where everyone's seen the seasons multiple times, they can recite trivia like it's no big deal like i can uh it's, it's still it's still tough to do something that big um so to take a step further i guess with this is there's like a there's an nba one that's pretty famous it's like a pyramid and it's like the top hundred but they like go down so it's like there's like one person at the top and then there's like a layer with three and then there's another layer with seven more and then there's 12 more and then there's like 20 more so you get like it's like a tier list but like there's also a cutoff and i feel like in survivor especially it's reasonable to like cut it off at a certain point probably like either like top 50 or 75 or something like that so 100 might be a little bit much you might be struggling to come up with names at the end um and you pretty much just be naming returnees who made the merge multiple times towards the end um but I, I think that this method's probably a little bit closer to to being effective in this context. Um, again, you do have to put one person as the number one, which is hard, but then you can kind of put your other Mount Rushmore-y people just one layer below. And then someone, oh, they didn't make the cut for top four, but look, now they're in the top 10 because they're in the next band after that. Um, and so I, I think that that's a lot, uh, a lot better. And if you're really trying to visualize and really trying to analyze the games in terms of... Uh, you know, how well-rounded they were, how likely they are to perform again, whether people know them or not. I mean, there are some people, right? I mean, we said this about Tony. We said after Game Changers, it was like, that's it. Nobody can ever play a Tony-like game again. And he certainly can't return and do well, never mind win. Of course, he proved us all wrong by adapting. Um, but that's what good players do, right? They adapt. Barbity had to manage her threat level the whole time on Heroes vs. Villains, and she still made Final Tribal. Um, so, so good for her. Um, Adapt adaptability is definitely a, an underrated quality in a survivor. Um, but how can you really sit down and analyze players' games versus players' games from different seasons, different circumstances? I mean, you can weigh things like the strength of the cast, right? Redemption Island and One World had very weak casts. So is the, are those wins significantly worse than winners at war or heroes versus villains? I don't think so. I think that it's the circumstance that you're in. But at the same time, you do have to weigh it. Uh, what about luck? How lucky do you have to get? Ben Drebergen in season 35, he found multiple idols very quickly. There was a lot of luck involved. The fire-making twist probably saved him because um, it was probably going to be a quick 3-1 vote and he would never have made final tribal. So uh, overall, um, it's hard to do. It's, it's a very difficult task, and, and I applaud anyone who takes the time to do that. I know there have been, especially with the uh, with the pandemic, and we had a really long off-season, a lot of content creators did stuff like this, whether it was season rankings or winner rankings or player rankings where they, they did that. And man, uh, as a content creator, uh, I applaud you. That sounds increasingly difficult. It's like, how could you come up with a system that mathematically identifies... I mean, you'd have to be a genius to do something like this. Let me just let me just pitch this real quick, okay? Just just bear with me. Uh, you can I you know mathematically analyze using spreadsheets and, and equations and and algorithms and kind of boil it all down to um, 
you know, who is the really, who is the best player of all time? And, and even, you know, like the top uh, 50 or so and, and break it down into like four or five ish podcast sessions uh, where you inform your audience, uh, you know, of, of the results of your, your studious data and research. Uh, it would take a, a real, a real smart guy and a real dedicated podcaster to do that. So, uh, you know, whoever manages to do that, I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, we'll have like uh, physical will be broken out into categories and and you'll award like a score on like a a bell curve even uh, and then strategic and then you can like make luck and then kind of the X clutch factor, maybe even like ability to speak at final tribal or how you can sell your game uh, willingness to adapt, of course. And even, you know, kind of that Tony factor where you own up to your game, even though it might make you look a little villainous. Um, and then of course the social game, right? How many people in confessionals were saying, Oh, I love this person. I want to work with them. Even if they see you as a threat, you know, a la Mike Turner or uh Someone, someone like that. How, how would, what would it take to factor all of that together and boil it down to give you a number, one number that's an aggregate of all that, that tells you definitively out of a hundred, what your player rating is. And it would be like, kind of like the, how the Madden is like out of a hundred, like all your stats and it all comes together. And um, how would that look? Well, I'm here to tell you that someone, if you couldn't tell, I am that man. I have, I have done it. I have come up with a way to definitively rank all of the survivor players. Now I must admit, I must admit, I don't have that much time on my hands. Okay. I limited it to seventh placers and above ever. So that's still a lot of people, several, like a couple hundred, um, and using this and combining their multiple games, uh, of course, including factors, mitigating circumstances like Tina's all-star game. Why does that count? I mean, that's not fair. You know, stuff like that. Like I, I boiled it all down. I'm, I'm crunching the numbers. I'm putting it all together. And yes, some of the some of the numbers I put in are subjective, but I feel like they're fair. And what it spit out is a list and it's a big list and it shows me and I can sort it. And it, it says, I'm looking at it right now. And it says what, which player is the highest on their score. And then the next one and then the next one. And what I'm going to do is over the next several weeks is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come on. I'm going to just, we're just going to have fun because there's no reason for me to say, Oh, why this person is the best. I don't have to argue because these numbers show it. Okay. I am correct. Okay. Just like with the season rankings, these are going to be the objectively correct takes. And if you don't like it, uh, that's too bad because I'm, I'm a survivor genius. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, I'm really excited because I'm just going to talk about the players in a fun way. What I like about them, what I enjoy about their games, why I think they're this high, because obviously I didn't put in every single number, but a lot of the things were like challenge placement and, and things like that. Um, I'm going to talk about it and uh, we're going to get down to it in the final, final episode. It's going to be uh, who the goat is really. And I guess who Mount Rushmore is and who the top 10 is, uh, is going to come out during that as well. Um, but I'm extremely excited for this project. Um, I love, of course, doing rankings. I love doing lists and being able to do it in kind of a scientific way is really exciting. Um, so I have to thank uh, some people that I know uh, who aren't listeners of the podcast. And I uh, borrowed some of their, uh, it's, it's mostly used for like 
fantasy gaming and um, fantasy gaming, meaning like fantasy football, not like uh, World of Warcraft. Um, fantasy sports, uh, predicting bracket stuff, even like sports betting. Uh, a lot of that stuff kind of went into this and I kind of tweaked it for survivor purpose since everything's already determined, of course, uh, of the seasons. And I'm going to come to a definitive ranking of the top 50 survivor players of all time. And this will include 41 and 42, by the way. Um, there may be some that show up. And no, this is not going to be a list of 42 winners because the winner is not necessarily the best player on the season. Um, but about half of the list is probably going to be winners. Um, but I hope that you're excited too. I hope you tune in every week as I break that down and we get to talk about the, the players and what makes them so great. Uh, maybe I'll have a couple of guests and we can, we can have a, a good time. But uh, yeah, uh, this whole episode was pretty much a lead in into that. Uh, <laughs> I hope you liked the bit as well. That was that was fun to do. Uh, you know, call myself a genius and such as usual. But well, uh, that's going to be it for today. Uh, as hard as it is, I think, to determine uh, who the winner is in a show like this, who the number one goat is, um, I think I've done it. And uh, I'm going to, of course, reveal that over time. Uh, but that doesn't mean the debate ends, okay? I mean, they constantly talk about who the GOAT is in football, and everybody knows it's Tom Brady at this point. I mean, it ended. They just recently struck that up again with like, oh, is Tom Brady or Peyton Manning a better quarterback? It's like, come on, man. He's got seven rings. You know, it, it was, I guess they got to keep it fresh, but he passed Montana a while ago. So they're like, oh, let's put Peyton back in there. Why not? Uh, but anyway, of course, I'm a Patriots fan and I'm biased, but that's the correct take. But back to Survivor, uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And, um, you know, I appreciate your support moving forward in the next couple of weeks of the offseason as I do this, this series, which I'm very excited about. So just so you don't miss it, go ahead and subscribe to us wherever you are listening to podcasts and thumbs up or star this episode if you enjoyed it and share with a friend. Also follow us on Twitter at Twists and Torches. Um, and we'll be back next week to start this exciting new series. Thanks so much and have a good one.